Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We are preparing to enter the final chapter of John. We've been in the book of John literally for the entire year, and I'm, uh, I've been enjoying the study, uh, but I'm excited to go on to and finish out the book of John uh, on New Year's Eve, and then starting in January, we're going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to be studying the book of Ruth in January, and I'm really excited about that. John chapter 21, verse number 1, we're going to read from verses 1 down through verse 14. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. The Bible says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is God's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. The title of the message is Lessons from a Great Catch. Lessons from a Great Catch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Now, Lord, we pray that you would fill me with your spirit as I preach. Fill your spirit, uh, fill the, the, the hearts of these people gathered before you with your spirit and allow them, Lord, to see what you have for them in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Post-credit uh, post scenes are perhaps the modern-day epilogue, uh, modern-day equivalent of an epilogue of a book. Uh, those of you that read novels and, and stories find that perhaps there is an epilogue following the final chapter, which tells you what happens to the characters after the end of the story. Uh, Marvel has made the post credit scene kind of their signature trademark, if you would. Uh, those of you that have seen all the Marvel movies know that when you go to the movie theater and you watch the entire movie, the credits roll and most of the theater kind of gets up and leaves, right? But the dedicated fans, the, the ones that know that there's something more coming, they stay in their theater seats, they stay for the entire credits uh, to, to be over with, and then they wait and they are rewarded with a scene that may attach to the, the story in some way or may tease a future movie. The book of John could end with John chapter 20. Oh, what does John say at the end of John chapter 20? He's, he, he ends the story, he ends his gospel account with the words, 
All of these things I have written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name. The end. You could end the book right there. But John chapter 21 gives us a little bit of a glimpse. It gives us a post-credits scene, if you will, of the disciples after Jesus rises from the dead. It's an epilogue. It tells you what happens to the characters after the end of the story. And my friends, if, if you read the entire book of John and you stop at John chapter 20 and you accept Christ and you believe on him, and if that were the end of the story for you, that would be tragic. Because the end of the story for the Christian is not when they accept the Lord Jesus Christ, because the story is just beginning. In fact, we see that John chapter 21, John gives us a little glimpse. What does it look like after you accept Christ? What does it look like after you believe? The Christian life is an ongoing series of work, life, faith, growth, and fellowship with our Savior. And so in our text today, Jesus performs one final miracle. We know that there are seven main signs, seven main miracles in John, but Jesus performs one final miracle here because he wants to demonstrate that future successes in the Christian life would be due to following his commands and spending time with Jesus. You see, you don't believe on Jesus and then go on your life as if nothing has changed. You believe in Jesus first, and then Jesus gives you a greater purpose to fulfill. The main takeaway from this passage that we have read is simply that time spent with Jesus gives us what we need to be faithful followers of Jesus. Why does John record this final chapter? He records us to show us that belief is not the end, it is merely the beginning. And I want us this morning to look at three lessons for our lives. After you've been saved, after you've believed on Jesus, what does your life look like now? What are some lessons that we can take away after we have salvation given to us? And I want us to look this morning at three lessons for our lives after Jesus gets involved. The first lesson that I see here is this. We should not be surprised at life's toils. We should not be surprised at life's toils. What were the disciples doing here in Galilee again? The Sea of Tiberias is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And you remember that Jesus was not crucified in the Galilean region. He was crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem. So what were the disciples doing here in Galilee again? Well, they were simply doing what they were told to. Uh, in Mark chapter 14, 28, and also in 16, 7, Jesus tells them, I am going before you into Galilee after my resurrection. And so what did the disciples do? Jesus, if you remember, we've been studying this up to this point, Jesus has appeared to them after his resurrection. He has eaten with them. He has breathed on them, symbolically giving them the Holy Spirit, and then he disappears again. So what did the disciples do? Well, they travel north to Galilee because they remember that Jesus said, I'm going to meet you at some time after my resurrection. Go to Galilee wait for me until I give you further orders. And so we find the disciples here in John chapter 21 fishing. But they're not just fishing, if you know Peter. Peter is the leader of the group, of course, and Peter has decided that he has had enough of waiting for Jesus 
to give them further instructions. What is Peter uh, thinking to himself at this point? Peter's thinking, I've got a family to feed. Presumably, uh, they had been feeding their family based off the charitable donations that Jesus received in his ministry the previous three years, and now that's gone. So what is Peter and the other disciples doing? Well, they have wives, they have children, they have families. Peter decides, I'm done waiting around for Jesus. I, I have to do something. I cannot just sit here and wait. I need to do something. Have you ever felt like that before? Or maybe somebody tells you, don't just stand there, do something, right? And you're like, what, what am I supposed to do? I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I don't know, but we need to be doing something. And this urgency, this restlessness, uh, this impatience to wait upon the Lord gets the better of Peter and it gets the better of six other disciples as we see here in John chapter 21. The disciples were doing what they were told, but in spite of just waiting what they should have been doing, they begin to toil. They begin to fish. They begin to go back to their old lifestyle because they figured Jesus is not here anymore. We need to take care of ourselves. I'm done waiting for Jesus. You know the story. We've just read it. They go out. They let their nets down and they bring them up and they let them down and they bring them up and they let them down and they bring them up for the entire night. And what did they catch? A big fat nothing. They toil all night. How many of us are toiling right now? How many of us are just restless? We're waiting for Jesus to show himself strong in our lives. We're just waiting for that answer to prayer. We don't know at this point what to do. We don't know where it all went wrong, but we do know this. Jesus is not answering my prayers right now. Jesus is nowhere to be seen right now. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels. I feel like I'm just going and going and going. I feel like I'm letting my nets down over and over and over again, and I'm coming up empty. You will have those times. These were professional fishermen. They had no doubt had empty nets before. They were not unfamiliar with the fact that sometimes you just have a bad night. Sometimes you just don't catch anything. But John frames this story to show us that on this particular night, they caught nothing because Jesus was not with them. Now, I want to say to you this morning, unless Jesus is involved in your vocation, unless he is involved in your life, unless Jesus gives you the blessing of your efforts, it will be fruitless. You will be emptied. You will not succeed. You can have all of the expertise in your field, but without Jesus, it means nothing. What does John chapter 15 verse 5 say? It says, for without me, you can do nothing. There are a lot of men out there in the world that say that they are self-made. I have made my millions. I have made my billions. I have built this business from the ground up. My friend, there are no self-made men. There are only arrogant men that God has chosen to bless in spite of themselves. And the disciples needed one more reminder that it was actually Jesus that allowed them to do anything that allowed them to have any kind of material success in this world. And so it is for you, my friend. If you're sitting here and you happen to be well-off, which most of us here are, if you're sitting here clothed, 
fed and you have a roof over your head, you are doing far better than 95% of the world population. Hasn't God been good to us? But can I say also that unless you let Jesus be involved in your life, unless you are relying on Jesus in participation with your toil, it will all be for nothing. D.L. Moody said this, the great evangelist from the, uh, the 19th century, D.L. Moody said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when we go through hard times. I'm sure some of us are going through hard times right now. I'm sure that the Christmas season is not happy for everyone. Perhaps it brings up memories of a lost loved one. Perhaps this is the first Christmas without that somebody that you had last year this time. We should not be surprised at the toils of life because they will come, church family, but we ought to realize that our toils, our work, our efforts are absolutely meaningless without the power of Jesus. So stop trying to get ahead in your life without the blessing of Christ on it. Don't be surprised at hard times, but don't leave Jesus out of those hard times either. That's what we see as the first lesson. Not only, should we see, not only do I see that we shouldn't be surprised at these life's toils, but I also see, secondly, that we should follow Christ's commands in faith. Who do we see that stands there as if he's kind of a parent watching his children fail over and over again? Uh, we, we, we see this often with our daughter, Reagan. She's uh, 16 months old now. I, I, can't, I, I stopped keeping track after one year old, and so I think she's 16 months old now. Um, but we see, we see all the time that she tries to do things around the house. She's getting, uh, she's getting to the age where she can actually get her leg up onto the couch now by herself. And she can lift her way up onto the couch with a little bit of our help. And she needs us there sometimes to help her onto the couch. But what happens when we're not there? She gets frustrated. She starts crying. And we, we say, Reagan, what's wrong? And she's just pointing at the couch, trying to get onto the couch. Okay, that's great. You're doing it all in your own power. Jesus commands these disciples in, in this passage. He goes, it says in verse number six, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. If we back up in verse number five, we see Jesus watching his disciples. And he says to them, then said Jesus to them, children, have you any food? Jesus shows up and he finds his disciples doing what he has not told them to do. He finds them kind of relapsing into their former life. Jesus sees them from the shore and he tells them, and he, rather he asks them, children, have you any food? The spirit of his command is not one of rebuke. It is not Jesus yelling at them in correction. No, Jesus' first word to them is, children. The Greek word for this word translated children is a term of endearment. You would only use this word as a term of endearment to somebody that was close to you. Children, let me help you. Do you have any food? Or how about this? How's that working out for you? See, Jesus is just as kind to you and me. We can fall flat on our face over and over and over again. 
we can try over and over and over again without his help, and Jesus will just watch us and say, all right, how's it working out for you? You keep doing that, see where that gets you. But Jesus reminds the disciples that he is there. He is present. He asks them, you want any help? The spirit of his command. We find that the promise of his command is found in verse number six. He says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. He asks the disciples, have you caught anything? And like discouraged professional fishermen that they were, they answered him one word. What is it? No. That's it. You can hear, you can hear the discouragement there, can't you? You can hear the, the depression that's in their voice. Hey, have you caught anything? No. Have you, how, has, how has your life been? Fine. How did your week go? Great. How's that working out for you? Trying in your own might to solve your own problems, wondering where Jesus is, and Jesus has been there the whole time watching you. The promise of his command, though, Jesus doesn't just stand there. Jesus decides to do something that only he can do. And he promises them, you will find some if you cast your net on the right side of the boat. What is this? This is simply a step of faith. This is not something uh, huge that, they, that Jesus tells them to do. He doesn't tell them to go sail to the other side of the lake. He doesn't tell them uh, to come back to land and get a different net, or he doesn't, he doesn't ask them to do something extraordinary. What does Jesus ask them to do? Jesus simply says, just cast your net on the right side of the boat. You've been casting on this side. You may have even cast on this side last night, but just, just cast over here. And I promise you, you will find some. It's interesting that this account is mirrored with Luke chapter 5. This is the end of the book of John, but we find that when Jesus first called the disciple Peter to follow him, Jesus does the exact same miracle. Luke chapter 5, you can read it later, but Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, Jesus has just gotten done speaking to the crowd, and then he tells Peter, hey, I want you to launch your boat out into the deep, and I want you to let your nets down. And what does Peter respond to Jesus and Luke? And Jesus, uh, Peter says, we fished all night, we haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Peter knew who Jesus was back then in, chapter, in, in Luke, and he lets his net down, and what does Jesus do? Jesus provides a multitude of fishes in Luke chapter 5. They bring it all to land, and after all of that is brought to shore, Jesus then tells Peter when he calls him, he says, put your nets aside and follow me, and I will teach you to become fishers of men. We fast forward three years. Jesus has been crucified. He's buried. He's risen again. What is Peter doing? He's going back to his old lifestyle. This worked out for me then. It must work out for me now, and what does Jesus do in his kindness? He does the exact same miracle for Peter, telling us that if we didn't get it the first time, Jesus says, that's okay, you'll get it the second time. Jesus promises another catch for Peter. He promises that he will find fish, and then he finds that Peter responds to him in a unique fashion. 
Uh, verse number seven, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. This seems kind of backwards, don't you think? If you were going to jump into the sea, wouldn't you think that you would take off your clothes rather than put them on? Uh, Peter is so excited. He has such an emotional response that it's Jesus on the shore waiting for him. And in order to give him a fitting greeting, he puts on the outer garment, dives into the sea, and beats the boat back to shore. Peter was excited to see Jesus again. This recognition of Jesus all of a sudden turns the light on for these disciples. They realize Jesus has been there the whole time. I've been toiling all night. It's now daylight. I've caught nothing, and yet there Jesus stands. He is the one that told us to cast our nets, and we just did it. Why not? You find somebody fishing on the dock at Jacksonville Beach, and they haven't caught anything, and you give them some advice, and what's their response? Ah, well, maybe I'll try it. What, what could go wrong, right? I've been here all day. I'll try your advice. That's exactly what the disciples did, and look what happens. When Jesus gets involved in your life, things start to happen. When you stop trying to make it on your own strength, and you fully surrender to the Lord, and the Lord takes care of you, the only response now is one of grateful worship. What is God's plan for your life? It's kind of a Fitting question at the end of the year here. People are reevaluating their goals, their resolutions for the new year. What is God's plan for your life? The Lord may have you keep doing what you are doing, or you may have something else planned for you. Uh, regardless of what it is, if you have a step of faith that you need to take, you need to take it. God may redirect the plans that you have for yourself, and you might, it might feel scary, it might feel uncertain, and the step of faith that Jesus asks you to take might be a small one, but you need to take it. There is a next step for every single one of us here in the room. I don't know what it is for you. I do know that it may be big or it may be small. Most likely, if you're sitting here in this room, you already know the general path for your life, and you know, though, that there is another small step of faith that you need to take. There's a rather large step of faith that me and my wife had to take last year about, well, a little more than a year ago now. A little more than a year ago, I think in July, we drove onto this property we saw the buildings. There was nobody else here. We looked around, and we knew that God had something special planned here. We didn't know what it all meant at the time. We didn't know why God was calling us away from our current job to come here, but we prayed over every building that day. We walked around the entire property praying, God, if you want something to happen here, you're going to have to make it very, very obvious. Lo and behold, a little while later, we were finding ourselves having our first few Bible studies here, and the church has grown a little bit, bit by bit. We've seen people saved. I'm really excited to tell you how many people in, have been saved and baptized in February, but that was a huge step of faith for us. What about you? What is the next step for you? What is the Holy Spirit 
whispering to you about right now that you know you've been putting off perhaps for weeks, months, years, days. There is a step of faith that every single one of us must take. Maybe it's getting saved. Maybe you've not accepted the Lord Jesus yet into your life. Maybe you've not turned to him in full repentance and accepted his forgiveness and his promise that he will take you to heaven when you die. Perhaps it's getting baptized. Maybe you've not been baptized after you've gotten saved. Or perhaps you've not joined our church family yet and you know that the Lord has been talking to you about that. Or maybe you're part of our church family and you have not a place of service yet. Maybe you're here and you've just been attending and you feel like the Lord is calling you to do something in our church. I'll tell you what, Right now, immediately, one of our needs is we could use more nursery workers. <laughs> I praise the Lord, my wife is here today in the service with us, but many times, many of you don't even know she's been in the nursery faithfully serving. We could use more nursery workers. We could use more volunteers in our sound booth. We could use more volunteers uh, to, to help clean the grounds. We could use more volunteers to do various things around the church that many people would not even know need to be done. Where is your place of service? What is your next step of faith. Uh, Jesus uh, has three lessons for us. We ought not be surprised at life's toils. We ought to follow Christ's commands in faith. But finally, I see this morning that we ought to spend precious time with Jesus. We should spend precious time with Jesus. Look at verse number 10, if you would, in our text. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. What's the thought? Jesus wants what we have to offer. Jesus desires to use the resources, the talents, or lack thereof of every person in this room for his glory. Jesus told the disciples to bring some of the fish they have just caught. Jesus could have made a a full five-course meal at the snap of his fingers. He could have multiplied the fish and the bread that he had there for the disciples, just like he multiplied the fish and the bread for the 5,000 people. And yet, what does he ask the disciples to do? He asks them, bring some of those fish that you just caught. And I ask you this, how odd would it be if the disciples had refused to give any of the fish which they had just caught. How much have we been given, church? How much that we have toiled over that were it not for Christ, we would have nothing. And yet we find ourselves refusing to give Jesus what he rightfully already owns and has provided for each of us. I don't preach about giving much, but there is a principle here that we find that if Jesus provides and asks for, we ought to let it go freely from our hands. Lord, it all belongs to you. You've provided the 153 fish. If you ask me to give a little bit of that to help with the breakfast, it's yours. It is yours, Lord. Giving to the Lord enriches our time spent with him. Giving is an act of worship. Could you imagine if they had not given to this breakfast, I don't think Jesus would have provided any more fish. I think he would have just let them sit down and say, all right, share it. 
Make the best. You, you split it up then. If you're not going to give me any of the fish that you have just caught that I have provided for you, well, then here's just some leftovers for you. Giving to the Lord enriches our time spent with Him. It is only by the giving of the fish to participate in the work of providing the breakfast that the disciples were able to spend a truly enriching time with their Lord and Savior. Jesus wants what we have to offer. He is glorified and magnified in it because the Lord is good and the person who gives also benefits from the giving. Jesus wants what we have to offer. He also wants to spend time with us. Jesus, in verse number 12, the the Bible says this, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. I was thinking about entitling this message, The Last Breakfast, instead of The Last Supper, but uh, I, I didn't feel comfortable naming it that. But if you think about it, this is kind of like the last breakfast that Jesus has recorded in the book of John. He obviously had several more days before he ascends, but oh, what a difference from the last supper to the last breakfast. Jesus gives them bread and wine in the last supper, signifying the death that he ought to die, that he's going to die with. And now he serves them fish and bread as a symbol of what they ought to be going to do now. They ought to be fishers of men. Bring some of the fish which you have just caught and then come and eat breakfast. Come and eat breakfast. He knows the disciples are tired. They're weary from working all night. It would have been just as easy for him to rebuke them, rather, because they were not waiting patiently for him. They were not waiting in faith. They were not following Jesus' instructions necessarily. But he doesn't do that. It is true that Jesus came to earth to die and to be resurrected for our sins. But there's a greater purpose at play here. It could be said that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again so that he could have breakfast with his disciples. You see, the whole point of Jesus' reconciliation with the sinners of the entire world is not just so he could uh, demonstrate his forgiveness to us. Jesus, in fact, desires a thriving relationship with each and every one of us this morning. This is not simply a breakfast that Jesus does out of spontaneity. Jesus desired to have fellowship with his disciples. He desires for them to come around the table where he has prepared breakfast for them. He desires to talk with them, to joke with them perhaps, to catch up with them what has been going on in their lives. And so my friend, Jesus desires the same relationship with you. If you wake up each morning and you do not read God's Word, if you do not spend time in prayer with with the Lord, what are you really doing in your Christian life to improve your relationship with Him? The Christian life, as many have told us, as many have said, is not a religion. It is not a ritual. The the, The Christian life is a relationship. When was the last time that you spent with Jesus? We find that Jesus wants to spend time with us, and Jesus also wants to serve us. Look at verse number 13. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Jesus, before he was crucified, washed their feet, 
fed them, performed other miracles in front of them. Now he has produced, as if by a miracle as well, the fish and the bread laid on the fire and the coals, and now he serves them a meal. You know what Jesus could have said? He could have said, I just paid for the sins of all of mankind. I'm going to call it a day, guys. Uh, I, just, uh, I just endured unimaginable suffering and agony. Why don't you serve me? Nobody has gone through pain and suffering and agony like Jesus has, and yet he still showed up to serve his disciples who heartily deserved it. What does this demonstrate to us? Jesus is the ultimate servant. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53, and he now serves his disciples as a risen and victorious Savior to spend time with them, but also to show them, this is what you need to be doing for others. As I have served you, so serve others. Thank God that we serve a God who is the ultimate servant, but secondly, may we take this as an example for our own lives, and may we serve the way that Jesus serves us. Jesus desires to spend time with us. He desires to serve us. He desires what we have to offer. He does all of this to his discouraged, downcast, confused disciples. He reminds them, I'm still here. I'm still here. I still love you. I still have plans for you. But come and eat breakfast. Let me encourage you. So that way, when you get to the next book, the book of Acts, you're prepared to do the work that I've called you to do. There's a man uh, by the name of Jim, an an Iowa man, who had a 54-year-old wife. Her name was Laura. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And they made sure that their cancer story had a beautiful twist. Well, one week after Laura underwent a, a, a serious surgery to take care of her cancer, Jim reproposed to his wife. They had already been married for 26 years, and the loving husband told the news station, I've known Laura as the most selfless person, and as she was going through this rough patch, I really wanted to give a sign and a reminder of love and commitment. And their youngest daughter of the couple happily took photos of their father's moving gesture. Jim decided that his wife was uncertain. She was confused. She didn't know. She was disoriented about all that this cancer had brought. She probably was wondering, does he still love me? Is he still committed to me? After 26 years and this cancer treatment and everything, and I don't look the same anymore, and I don't act the same anymore, and I need all of this extra help. Does my husband still love me? And what does Jim do? He, Jim gives her a reminder. He proposes to her just like the way he did 26 years ago. Why? He wasn't asking to get married all over again. He was simply reminding her, I'm still here. I'm still committed to you. I still love you. And this morning, my friends, Jesus reminds you today that whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever has gone through this week that has put your relationship with him on shaky ground, whatever it is this week, whatever terms you are on with Jesus this morning, he emphatically reminds you today, I still love you. I am still here. I still want you 
to do great things for me. I still want to provide for you. I still want to serve you. I still want to have a relationship with you. May that be our prayer this morning, and may we learn from these three lessons after Jesus provides a great catch for his disciples. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning.